Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming. My name is Margie Krakowski with Jones Lang LaSalle, and I have Tony here uh, with Studley. He's my co-chair for programs. Uh, as he said, this is our last program for the summer, and we'll be back in September for our annual Tales from the Trenches series. Uh, please continue to monitor the website for more information and the e-blasts coming out every other week. Uh, today's program is being podcast and posted to the website. If you have your MCR, you receive one continuing education credit for each luncheon you attend, and there's a sign-up sheet by Chris and Beth in the registration desk. And for our regular attendees, I know you've uh, seen us tinkering with these audience response systems over the last two or three months. Uh, today, we're going to take a, a step back and go low-tech again, so about 105, 110, we'll bring a microphone out, and Amanda or Beth or someone will be walking around the audience. So we encourage questions at the end of our great presentation today. Today's topic is Microsoft's global integrator model. Earlier in the year, Patrick approached me and said he was interested in Coronet and wanted to get involved. And I said, well, what better way to come up on stage and share your story than to get involved right away? Uh, so please uh, welcome to the stage our distinguished speakers, Patrick McDonald, Program Manager, Global Infrastructure of Real Estate and Facilities with Microsoft, and Scott Long, Senior Director of Operations with CBRE, joining us from Redmond, Washington. Can you guys hear me? Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, Margie, that was a very kind introduction. Um, she's right, I did approach her. One of our commitments at Microsoft is to make sure that um, we're involved in the industry um, in organizations like Cornet. So I did reach out to her and say, hey, look at, um, I'm interested in joining here. Um, how do we go through this process? She called me back and 10, 15 seconds, sent me over all the information and where to send the check. Um, then, right after that, she invited me out for drinks with some of the folks uh, from the Cornet Committee and said, after a few beers, hey, we would like to have somebody from Microsoft um, present at Cornet. Great, great. So here I am, this is the second event that I've been to and I'm having to present here in front of 150 of you guys. So. Um, thanks for the opportunity. Um, anyways, I want to introduce myself. My name is Patrick McDonald, um, and I work in global real estate and facilities for Microsoft. Um, we're based out of Redmond, Washington, where the majority of our group is, but I office here in Chicago um, in the Aon building. And uh, with me is Scott Long from CBRE. You, as you heard, uh, Scott Long, CBRE Senior Director of Global Operations for the Integrator Model. So I sit on the Microsoft campus um, with employees that Patrick was mentioning in the real estate and facilities division of Microsoft. Uh, I've been on the account for uh, a year and a half now. Um, so I've kind of seen from where this started really taking hold and, and moving it through and um, worked directly with Patrick in some different areas. So Scott said that he joined a year and a half ago. Um, I've now been at Microsoft since September 24th of 2012, so about nine months or so now. So long tenure. 
Um, today, um, we're, we're going to talk about Microsoft's global integrator model. And when Scott and I were talking about the presentation that we were going to do here, um, we wanted to, you know, you know, agree on how we were going to present. So I thought, hey, let's present this in the way that the integrator model works. I will stand up here and take care, or I'll take all the credit for the presentation, and Scott will do all the work all right. being the vendor. So he agreed to it, so I'm going to go ahead and turn the rest of the presentation over to Scott. Perfect. Thank right. you. Go ahead and have a seat. I got you some iced tea. Right. Um, get some of your email taken care of, and, and we'll have fun here. And I would like a few more cookies. All right. We'll, we'll get that to you, too. Okay. Um, anyways, you want to flip to the next slide here? Yeah. All right. Actually, clicker. So uh, the agenda for today, uh, we're going to talk about Microsoft's business and global portfolio. We'll get you guys familiar with um, who Microsoft is, what we do, and where we are for those of you that aren't familiar. Um, we're going to talk about the development of the integrator model. Um, we're going to talk about what's in the integrator model, and then we're going to end it with what's working. Notice we didn't put a bullet point on there for what's not working. So we're going to assume that you guys are going to ask us some questions about how this is. Okay. So uh, Microsoft, uh, what's that? Oh, yeah, why don't you play the video then? Sorry, we have a video before we get into the presentation. Before we had the Workplace Advantage, we had a very ordinary style of office with lots of fixed workstations. They were, you know, very grey in the cubicles and everybody felt very siloed. Room reservation was always difficult. Collaboration was very intentional. Otherwise, it was difficult to happen. We wanted to make changes on the culture, just wanted to break paradigms. We are extremely excited about our new offices in Mexico. We call them the new way of work. Now we have a really open, funky, free-moving space. More free space or conference room. People can get together naturally. People can choose every day where and when and how they'd like to work in order to get the work done that they need to do. When we move into this office, we're like, wow. It really showcases collaboration, and I think that's just the magic that everybody sees when they come in. It showcases us as an innovative and futuristic company. Collaboration is really important. This office is a collaboration space. Before, people were very concerned about moving from offices to not only open plan, but mobile space. We've been able to collaborate a lot better. It's brought the team much closer together. It's lent an air of informality and cordiality to the team. You know, fantastic environment. It's really conducive to, to meetings and collaboration. I think that's been a really positive experience. It's really nice to be able to get up to somebody else that you can see their head, that they're working, and just go ask them a quick question. One of the biggest benefits can be just the morale boosting. You have, you know, people you're working with around you all the time, so you can build a lot better bonds, I think, with your team. It's really more akin to how we would live in our own homes. It works very, very fluidly and puts a whole new meaning on flexibility. 
You'll notice there's seating everywhere, so if you like to sit, you can sit. If you like to stand and walk, you can walk and talk and move. And there's, uh, the space is designed for flow. It just ends up being fast, sort of creative, loose, and an easy way to build energy. If you need to concentrate, you can do that. If you need to collaborate, you can do that. If you need to accidentally run into somebody else in an environment where you can have a quick chat, you can do that. And they love the ability to show up our offices. It's like bringing somebody into your home and feeling like, you've got a great place to show someone. The workplace advantage is a great advantage for Microsoft, especially Japan, where we have at home a very small apartment, a living space, but if you come to the office, you have better space. Hey, this is it. When we start bringing customers into this office, every single one of them said, can we have a floor plan in this office? And everyone was like really excited to come here. Our employees are using our technology in new and innovative ways, and they get to showcase that to customers and partners. Has been used as a show concept on how our technology needs to be used and how customers can evolve the way they work in our country. You see Windows Office Link in just a very integrated way. That really sells the value of the complete Microsoft Storage to our customers. It's fresh and it's attractive for young workers to come into the workplace. If they're looking for a company to work for, they can see Microsoft as a, as a young, innovative company. There's been a huge amount of customers visiting our office, not declining week over week, but actually increasing week over week because the customers are talking among themselves about our new office. So it's a good feeling. I, I, I think that's, that's really important for the business. So we are more productive, we are more efficient, we are happy. So, though that's not directly tied to the integrator model, it's just to give you a preview of what, uh, and give you a status update of really where Microsoft has gone in the last five years when it comes to what they call workplace advantage or as we commonly refer to as alternative workplace solutions or other things in that industry. Something they're very, very proud of um, with their partnership with Gensler of the years in developing and rolling this out. And it's something that, uh, you know, a lot of projects that we're seeing now internal to the integrator model and running forward with are large TIs that are building out spaces just like you saw. So the business within Microsoft can be more productive, but they actually use it as a sales platform for bringing in the BPs, the AT&Ts, you know, all those folks to come in and look at how a workplace with a Microsoft suite stack of tools, the products, can coexist and produce a very productive environment. It's upside down. Okay, so before we get into the integrator model, just some background on Microsoft as a company. Um, like I started to say before, uh, Microsoft was founded in 1975 um, by two guys that you may have heard of, Bill Gates and um, Paul Allen. Um, the company is headquartered in Redmond, Washington. And a quick fast fact, the company went public in 1986, um, and through the growth of the stock since 1986, that stock has created three billionaires and over 12,000 millionaires that are employees of Microsoft. Um, another quick fact, neither one of the 12,000 or the three are Scott and I. Just to let you know. So, but uh, um, anyways, 
Microsoft is, is um, divided into five different major business units. Um, first one being the Windows division, which uh, comprises the PC operating systems, uh, related software, online services, and hardware, um, including the new Microsoft tablet called Surface. 65% um, of the units, uh, of this unit's revenue is generated by the sales to OEMs, or pre-installed operating systems, um, for your Samsung, your Dell computer, your Lenovo computer, um, that's what, what that group handles. Uh, next group is the server and tools group. They develop and market products and services that enable IT folks to operate more efficiently. Um, common or names that you may recognize here are the Windows Server and Windows Azure. Um, next is our entertainment and devices group, and they develop and market products um, and services to entertain and connect people. Um, the big one here that I'm not so sure a lot of the folks in the crowd here will recognize, but your kids might, um, Xbox and Xbox Live um, uh, are predominantly the focus of this group. Um, then the Microsoft Business Division, which um, everybody here should be familiar with. Um, they develop market software and services designed to increase um, personal team in organizations. Um, and this group includes Microsoft Office, which I'm sure everyone uses here. Uh, Link and SharePoint. Uh, the last group um, is Microsoft's online services, which develop and market information and content available online. And the two big names um, in this division would be Bing, which is our search agent. So please move off using Google search agent to Bing. You see the commercials. Uh, and then Skype um, was an acquisition, of, a recent acquisition of Microsoft. Um, and that's what comprises that business division. So, for 2012, um, company revenues of almost $74 billion with uh, $21.76 um, billion in operating income and about $2 per share in earnings. Okay, what we do here, so that video that we showcased at the beginning, that is the super cool portfolio that Scott and I's group manages throughout the globe. Um, Globally, Microsoft um, manages about 34 million square feet um, on 678 or so buildings in 107, which I think it's 109 countries that uh, uh, we have offices in. And that includes 127,000 house headcount. And when we talk about house headcount at Microsoft, that includes um, full-time employees, consultants, contractors, anybody that calls Microsoft's office uh, home. So the uh, global portfolio is split into four regions. Um, our first major region would be Puget Sound, which is the Redmond campus. Um, and it's so big that it gets its own region. Um, it's about 15 million square feet, 122 or so buildings in Puget Sound and um, almost 56,000 folks. It is uh, one of, if not the largest corporate campus um, uh, in the United States. Um, and when I was first out there for my interview, uh, before I came on, stayed at the Marriott and, and the hiring manager called over and said, uh, or I called over there and said, hey, look at, um, I was looking at the map there is a boatload of buildings here. How do I get to the place where I interview for? I said, no, no problem. Just here's this number, call. 
they have a taxi service at Microsoft of about 250 um, Microsoft-owned taxis um, called the shuttle that will pick you up from any building on campus so that you're not late for any important meeting that you need to get to. A um, couple other facts about the uh, um, Redmond campus or the Puget Sound campus. Um, uh, Microsoft has its own um, bus system to take uh, employees, shuttle them back and forth from work. Um, it's about 50 or so buses um, that stop at 50 different stops around the greater Seattle area, making at least uh, three round trips per day to each of those stops. So um, that's really helped us in our green initiatives um, so that um, folks can take the bus and, and make sure that we're living in a clean environment out there. Um, the, the next campus is the Americas campus. Um, so Americas would be um, the rest of the United States um, and then Latin America. Uh, that composes almost 7 million square feet, 170 different offices in 23 countries. About 21,000 is the head count there. Um, in portfolio, when, when we're talking about the portfolio here, Scott and I, um, our group manages would be mainly corporate offices, uh, labs, studios, and R&D facilities. What's not included in the numbers um, when we're up here presenting would be our uh, GFS or data locations, as well as our retail stores, which we're just getting into the retail business. Um, Asia, about 5.3 million square feet, 96 different offices in 18 countries, almost 25,000 housed headcount. Um, and, and finally, EMEA, which is, uh, in our terminology, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, about 5.1 million square feet, 214 sites, 69 different countries, and almost 28,000 housed headcount around the world. So it's, uh, it's a pretty impressive place, um, especially in the Puget Sound campus. But um, Microsoft's really done a, a fine job in, in developing their offices around the world. Okay, um, what we're here to talk about today is the um, kind of the industry new integrator model or the way that our corporate real estate organization um, is set up to function globally. So um, before getting into selecting the integrator model, um, there were some basic initiatives or, or, or basis for what we wanted to do as a group, um, including you know, trusted leadership, enabling the future, a global business model, um, uh, client satisfaction, an internal engagement model, and we wanted to truly become um, a global organization, which we were before, but we were 109 different global organizations because each of the countries and subsidiaries ran their own business. Um, and Although we had that global presence, we weren't operating in, in the manner that a industry leader like Microsoft uh, wants to be, should be. So um, on the slide here, I wanted to focus on two of the real important things here. So our trusted leadership model um, was really, really important to Microsoft. So th this is where we wanted to get our folks out of the tactical, day-to-day -day duties of facility management, project management, and transaction management. Um, 
because we wanted them to focus on becoming a business partner in, in improving our CRM so that when we go to these business units, that our folks could talk strategically um, about decisions that would better enable their business model. Um, it, and, and that was really important because if, if we don't have them trust us, because you're talking about folks that are very bright, hold some pretty powerful positions within Microsoft, and are very influential. So when we have somebody that can certainly take care of a clogged up toilet, or they can build them an office, but are they really the person that can have that conversation with the president of R&D in Asia, or um, you know, any other leadership position? Is that person equipped to have that conversation with those folks to help lead them in a strategic way and make decisions in the future that will enable that business? And it keeps that VP, president, GM, whatever that title is, to focus on their business because they're very good at that. They're, although they may think that they're very good at the real estate business, um, we, we want them to be able to focus on their core competencies. Um, the, the other important thing in this slide here was the development of the, the governance model. So like I said, you know, in the past we operated globally as 109 different real estate and facilities organizations. So we needed to or develop some governance around how we were going to operate. Um, we wanted to ensure that um, each of these regions was getting world-class delivery. So it was really easy for us to select one provider to go out there and, you know what, so-and-so is going to take care of Asia. Well, these folks that I talked about before, the, the presidents and the leadership um, in the subsidiaries, they're smart people, right? So that, that appears to them, that's lazy. We just picked the, the easiest provider there and don't know that, or didn't believe that they were getting best-in-class um, best service for all of the PM, TM, and FM work that, that was going on. Um, the other thing we needed to do was establish some sort of governance plan because, again, you know, operating in all these different countries, we needed to develop some sort of consistency on how we were going to roll these services out because it shouldn't be different in the way that we do our PM, TM, and FM work in Puget Sound, which is top-notch, versus what we're doing in Asia, what we're doing in EMEA, um, and what we're doing in LATAM. And then in order to facilitate those conversations with those leaders in the different regions, um, we need to be able to prove this. So we had no way to measure. We knew we were pretty good at delivering service, but you know, I can't bring Scott in just to brag about how good the service I'm providing here. We, we really needed, these folks want proof. They want data. They want um, proof that what we're providing or what we're giving them is best in class service. So th those were the real challenges. And again, what we needed to do, let me go to the next area here. Like I said before, we need to become strategic um, and become leaders in the organization and really drive some business process and really drive some decision making versus just being an order taker. Um, we want to develop um, or get rid of the inconsistency that we were delivering in service. Um, 
because that didn't work if you were some sort of leader in one region and transferred to another, you had a certain expectation for how things were handled. It should be similar from region to region. We also wanted to include our or improve our technology platform. Um, and we took a different approach to um, the place where I was before I came to Microsoft, is that um, Microsoft had a couple has to be's where we could use Microsoft technology so we could show things off. But what we understood was we didn't make software that handled lease administration, capital project management, facilities management, um, the ticketing, uh, that type of thing. So um, we wanted to leverage our service provider. Um, and, and it's kind of a, a plug and play model. We will take whatever the service provider uses as their software platform, as long as it's based off Microsoft platforms. <laughs> and is, right. Well, there is there is a lot of small details. I'm telling you all the cool stuff about the, the model here. Um, so uh, back to the technology platform. So we, they had to use uh, Microsoft uh, um, technology platform. And then we always have to have best in class service. So instead of us reinventing the wheel every time and having to purchase new software and keep up with what's the best, the service provider would take care of that. What we did then is we took on the um, reporting module or the reporting platform and said to the service provider, here are the 150 things that we need from your technology, the reports the data, the files, whatever it had to be, it had to run through Microsoft's reporting platform. So if we wanted to get rid of a service provider, they can take their software, leave the data with us. The next person that comes in, they, we could use theirs as long as they can deliver um, the outputs of the reporting that we required. Um, cost, um, and we're gonna get into this a little bit more um, on the integrator model. So cost to us is a little bit different. Certainly we want to um, we, we want to have best in cost, best in class service. It's not the main driver. But for us, we wanted to understand what the cost structures are in the different regions. So by having multiple providers um, compete for business, we're able to establish an expected cost structure um, around the world. I was told when I, when I came uh, for the interview that, look it, uh, I know that you're probably well-versed in process improvement and project management, but look it, we're not trying to do things as cheap as possible, as quick as possible. Because our assets for Microsoft are our software developers and our folks in the field. So providing them with what they, listening to what they need and providing them with um, the, the offices, the labs, the infrastructure that they need is very, very important to Microsoft. So, um, and the last point that we needed was, was scalability. So like in any corporate real estate organization, um, money flows in and projects are available, they go up and down like this. So where we may have a need in Asia, where we're building a bunch of locations there and a campus in Dublin, we don't have the bench strength in Microsoft's corporate real estate organization in order to shift assets around to manage that thing. Now, 
if we needed to develop a new Xbox game or some new software for Microsoft Office, got tons of those guys. But we don't have construction project managers, architects, transaction managers that we can just shift around. So we needed some scalability. Thank you. Okay. How did we get to the integrator model? So decision points here, um, pretty easy. Um, evolution or revolution. So we needed to have some co cohesive plan to go to market with, otherwise there was gonna be a revolt because these business units around the world, um, rightly so, are very influential. Um, and what they want, they typically get because they're driving a lot of revenue for the company. So we brought on Ernst & Young to um, look at developing um, a model that we could implement globally at Microsoft. Um, like any other good project management case, they developed the business case, um, identified uh, um, uh, conflict of interest, and the big decision points here um, were, or what Ernst & Young came up with was the outsource model versus the integrator and global versus regional. Okay, so, so the way that our internal organization is set up, very similar. So Puget Sound is its own animal. So it is very much, they have their own everything for, for that site. But we run regionally and everything is aligned geographically where you have area managers, portfolio managers, and so like a normal corporate real estate organization. The big takeaway that we got from um, the integrator model was the development of what we call a center of excellence, which is where Scott and I sit for most of our function. So this center of excellence was the wrapper around all of the different geographies. So it's like a gigantic project management organization, which is really the main function of the COE is to develop new process to put a global perspective um, on the organization and, and to make sure that what we're delivering out to the regions is consistent in, in the way that we're providing service. Um, so the, the, at the beginning, there's a lot of pushback that you know everything comes out of Redmond, everything comes out of Redmond. What works in Redmond must work in Beijing. What works in Redmond must work in Cape Town or Dublin or London. That's a difficult hurdle to get over. So that the COE, we engage with our regional partners, which there's business operation managers and there's area portfolio managers. So we include them in the development or this, the, the project management piece when we're developing these programs and we test run them through the folks in the field so that A, we've sought some input from, from the folks in the field and they're able to help evangelize for us, hey, this isn't just another program that they use in Redmond that's we're trying to make it work here. It's actually something that may be based in, in the direction that, that we've developed uh, um, out of the COE, but it's certainly tailored or catered so that it fits appropriately um, 
in each of the regions. So um, give you a couple examples of what, what I'm talking about. So um, a couple projects the COEs produced recently would be a global contracting model. So um, very important for us because when we need to go to market, um, when we need a uh, transaction done where we need to bring on construction managers, project managers, or facility managers. Um, the contracting piece is just a bear because there's all kinds of, of different contracts. There's all kinds of different regulations for the countries for us to do business. And they have to fit into how our integrator model works. So what we've done for them is we've come up with a process for how things are executed, which yes, works very similar to how we do things in Redmond, um, but we've tailored the contract piece to the field where we've incorporated or, or delivered them contracts with country-specific um, terms and conditions in them that make them effective in each of the regions. The other issue was that our LCA or our legal group um, around the world doesn't really have any real estate and facilities expertise. Um, they're you know, intellectual property attorneys, they're antitrust attorneys, and each of the subsidiaries has a GM that's responsible for okaying the contracts. They get a contract, the first thing they're like, ah, I've never seen anything like that. They turn it over to their local attorney that's in the office there, knows nothing about real estate and facilities. So this is process that the COE develops as far as, hey, these contracts have been developed by outside counsel. They've already been approved by Global LCA. This project's been approved already. The monies are approved. All you really need to do um, is sign the contract. Or if you have any questions, here are the two places that identify this process for you to take a look at. But please don't give it to your local attorney because that's just going to slow up the process. But those are the type of projects that the COE rolls out in order to enable our field to do things um, a lot quicker and, and a lot more efficient. Okay, so you want to talk here about the yes. uh, delivery model? Yeah, so Patrick's walked you through the business and has walked you through really um, what were the decisions, what were the, the thought behind the investment into going forward with the integrator model? This is a simple depiction which shows you kind of the pre-integrated model and where we're hoping to go to or where really where we're at today. And it just shows you that you know there's an RENF oversight here, and then there's a bunch of tier ones providing different levels of services, different consistent model, just kind of all over, all over the place, jumbled. And then below that are the architects, the, the construction managers, and all them with the tier twos, and the same thing, just you know, two or three times as many. So simply stated, you move to the right-hand side here, and you have a very structured, organized, consistently driven model aligning with what Patrick has, has said to us so far. So finally, what, what happens here through those two steps is we, we do have an end product. Um, we have uh, the COE, which is the new piece of the model. That's why this is, this is really highlighted, the important piece to put into the puzzle. Um, we have a regionally focused and aligned global delivery team. We have the integrator model along the bottom and then the, the delivery of that with all of our tier one partners.
why are we all here today and what you, know, what you guys really want to know. This kind of set the foundation for getting to the integrator model itself and the integrator. So Microsoft goes to market, um, market with it. I think it was probably, uh, Mike would know how long the process was, whether it was eight months or nine months worth of yellow pad sessions and who's going to win, who's going to be selected as the integrator. Do we even want to compete? Because then you give up the right to actually be a tier one and perform the work. A lot of questions going on. So CBRE was selected, and come July, we started the transition. Come November 1st, 2011, okay, we're live. Let's move. So this was about a year and a half ago. So what I want to speak to in this slide is there's two main points. There's the integrator model itself, which is comprised of the three groups we've been speaking about, real estate and facilities department in Microsoft, CBRE as an integrator, and then our tier one partners. And then I want to speak to kind of the integrator role and what we do will be kind of the next set of slides and then we'll open it up for questions. And I do want to check on the time. Are we, are we doing all right? Okay, thank you. Uh, so first, uh, what I want to do is make sure, use some examples here with how this fits together. And I like to, like to think of a pyramid as a bottom up because it's really the tier ones, the people who are performing the day-to-day -day projects and the transactions are the foundation for this business. They're executing, they're making it happen. They're the ones that are in front of the customer uh, in, in terms of what's live, what you actually see, especially when it comes to facilities management. So they're the foundation. They, de they deliver on the day-to-day -day operations. The integrator steps in and we deliver on the program. We deliver on the services and the consistency and the performance management of the tier ones and reporting functions. So we are as close to being a Microsoft, uh, as, being a, as being the client as, as really you're ever going to get. We sit, in, we sit in their space. We're involved in their business planning sessions, their quarterly business reviews. We're really meant to be that partner. And then you have RENF. As we said, you know, this is really a service delivery model. Um, the focus is not alleviating time that a, a, a real estate portfolio manager would have in their day. To, to free up day and get a better, um, let's say, a, a balance in life or things of that nature, but it's to become that partner with the business unit. So um, spending that time and thinking about this model, I want to kind of run through a scenario where pre-integrator what happened. Basically, before this came, the expectation of a, re of a regional manager in Microsoft's um, real estate facility department was to be a jack of all trades. They had to have that relationship we've been speaking a lot. They had to know the pipeline of projects, critical dates that are coming down. They also had to be in front of sourcing those projects, making sure they selected the right person. They had to manage the projects. And then they had to get all this data and get it together and have these discussions, these meaningful discussions with uh, um, business units. It's a lot, of, lot to ask of somebody. Yes, they do have people in the organization who have been pulling it off, but trying to scale that globally and meet those expectations, it's, it's just not doable. So the integrator really is, as Patrick was saying, is meant there to free up the time so they can really focus on the business. So we know the pipeline that's coming down, we source the events, we manage, we over, you know, manage the overview of the programs the tier ones are executing, and supply the data so um, Microsoft, to no surprise, or any technology company, Huge on the data. Let's use the data to justify our business, right? I mean, totally makes sense. So 
What's the headcount? What's the projected growth? What's the square foot we're currently in? What's all this information and report it back so it can be used? Uh, one thing um, that I wanted to acknowledge here and kind of step into, so then the, we have the foundation, the delivery of the tier ones. What we have up here are 14 different organizations, one of which is CBRE. Uh, from a global standpoint, so the partners, um, you know, our competition, that's making up the tier one delivery globally. For, for a large part, with the exception of Source 8 in EMEA, we have a consistent um, stable for brokers globally. When it comes to project management and facilities management, management um, it's, it's quite a large group, but really to the quote on the right, there's not one provider, no matter how big we CBRE, you know, say, say that we are, that we could cover best in class on 109 different countries. Uh, you know, especially when it comes to Middle East Africa, places in China, and things of where Microsoft is today. So my colleagues in the table, you know, might say, oh, that's interesting, he said that, but it's the truth. And really, the partnership that, and one of the questions that we had is how is CBRE and the rest of the tier one community gonna work together? Because they're in competition on other jobs and things of that nature, and really it's about building that trust, being honest about it, and being open and having dialogues with it. So I think it's um, one of the questions that will definitely come up and I'll address a little bit later is how is that working today? Back to pyramids, I think, or triangles, I think they make sense, so here's another one. Um, again, another huge piece of the integrator model is performance management. It's something that Microsoft wants to know on a quarterly basis, how are you performing? Um, are you doing what you say you're gonna do? Highlights, big on low lights, being honest with where your failures are and how you're improving them um, and, and working that. So what we have is we do have consistent delivery in terms of scorecards that we work with the tier ones on. They actually flow into our incentive pool. So we are directly accountable for scores that Microsoft will get, or sorry, that the tier one community will receive um, actually to the tune of transactions projects and facility management of 50%. So 50% of our weight is depending on the tier one's um, product on what they produce. And so it's holding us accountable for this. Uh, and then also the reporting aspect that I mentioned before of getting all this data flowing up through the system into RNF. One other important piece on this slide that has nothing to do with incentive, but has very much to do to in, um, improving the partnership is the 360 degree review. So what this is, is it's a, it's a survey, 10 simple questions that sets the stage for RNF, CBRE, and all the tier ones by individuals within those companies providing feedback on one another. So Patrick will get a survey and to where he's um, worked closely with other people, obviously with CBRE, he would have comments back to us on that. If he had any interaction directly with any of the tier ones, he'd have direct comments back to them. We aggregate this, we protect uh, anonymity, so we're not getting names back or saying, and the, the actual written comments go only to the leadership team. Um, and I think an important point that I wanna come back to is the score on these are not incentive-based. If you get a good score here, you don't make any more money. If you get a poor score, you don't get any, anything less. We didn't want to tie that in because we wanted people to be open and honest so we can address the concerns and address them quickly. 
So this is something we do twice a year. Uh, feedback that we've received is slow on communication and not having process in time. So it's things that, that we've addressed and have been working on and we continue to, to roll out and work. Another, another piece here, as I said, a, a big important piece, the lessons learned in this process is communication. Keep doing it. You think you've done enough, you haven't. So communication and training. We have roughly, at the end of the day, once we get everything up and running, the integrator will have roughly 120 people on the account. 30 of them is related to a call center. The rest of them are delivering on the integrator model. Microsoft Real Estate and Facilities Department I think they're around the same number, actually, at the end of the day, around 100, 120 people, globally speaking. And then we have the whole tier ones. You have a lot of people through a change management process, which is this really is, trying to align to this model. So communicating on updates, um, extremely important, where some things that we've created, like playbooks, we have playbooks, we have documented processes, but this is a new model. There was a heavy degree of customization we had to do for this to be successful in rolling that out. Uh, link, as you saw in the earlier video, very important process for, uh, you know, IMing. This is our phone system. You can see if somebody is live. You can do a quick chat and IM. It's a very supportive tool to kind of get your answer very quickly. Uh, and then another important piece is training. Um, training, training, training on all the new systems that we're rolling out, getting people on board. We're not... You know, we're building consensus, we're not getting buy-in from everybody, we're, uh, we're not getting agreement on this is how it has to be, but we are getting buy-in on the process. Um, technology itself, as Patrick said, other than the, the last two bullets on here, everything else is new. So we went through a huge effort of what is the right tool from this platform, or from a, a global platform that we should bring in and coincidentally, it, it replaced everything. So not only were we building a new model, trying to change, change behavior, but also introducing new technologies to a technology company that had a lot of questions of how, how this is going to be success. So uh, you know, we brought in a new financial forecasting tool, which didn't exist before. We have uh, a new project, in, project insight, which represents, so it actually manages transaction management um, and project management on a, on a basis. We have a new lease administration that Patrick had mentioned. Um, Dynamics is a CRM platform. So rather than going forward and using the, using the traditional CMMS tool, um, which has some cost constraints, because it's typically a model where it's you know, charged per cost per square foot, which would be cost prohibitive here, is building out the technology to manage the work order system on a global scale. So this was a huge adventure that we went through to bring to fruition. Uh, a brand new CAFM model, space management system, so, uh, and new utility insight. As you can tell, if anybody's familiar with any of these systems or all of them, uh, it's a huge undertaking, 34 million square feet, so many people who are involved with these, um, a replacement of the old system and rolling it out. That, that the people using them are located all over the globe. So um, a quick another sidebar is we have actually one more video that we wanted to launch into to kind of demonstrate some of the technology within real estate facilities. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh...
Hey, when you come to the metrics meeting, can you bring the new square footages for Amia? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do that. Next one. Yeah. Go ahead. So flash forward, year and a half later after we go live, what's working today? I think we have some very huge um, success stories to share. Number one, as I mentioned, the overall partnership. Uh, the partnership between CBRE and Microsoft Real Estate and Facilities Department, and also the partnership, which was definitely in question, um, of how this is going to play out. Are people going to be open? Are they going to share best practices? How are they going to work together between CBRE as an integrator and the Tier 1 community? Uh, I can speak to this from a Microsoft to integrator relationship. So Scott and I work very closely together. He is the vendor. I am the end user. But in where we work, you would not know the difference besides his badge is a different color than mine. Um, it's, it's a real partnership where they function in the actual roles that you would find in a normal um, corporate real estate organization. So, and he can speak better to the relationship between the integrator and the tier ones. Yeah, and with, with the time that I see, I'll make sure we do have time for questions. So, uh, yeah, the relationship with the tier ones, we've actually hosted three workshops with the tier ones globally. We've had the leadership come together from each of the tier ones for two days, talk about what's working, what's not working, how can we help make sure this works. We've also done it in, in EMEA, and then I had the pleasure of, of attending the one that we did in Asia and Hong Kong as well. So this is something we're doing twice a year um, in each region to make sure the partnership is working. Establishing the stable of tier ones for transactions and projects was done, um, and we've been live for about a year now, working really, really well. Um, I'll jump to the IFM sourcing one is something that this is one where we're getting buy-in from the businesses on the transformation of IFM in those regions. So it's taking quite, quite some time to kind of get over the goal line. We're very close, but there's been a huge success in bringing the IFM and transforming that business as well. Uh, the governance model, I've spent quite a bit of time speaking to that it's, it's, in, a, it's in a rhythm. 
it's, it's successful, it's delivering what it's went to. If anything, we're looking at because it's working so well, is there anything we should trim down, cut back in order to allow time to actually you know, work the projects and things of that nature? So that's uh, a topic of discussion right now. Uh, and then also um, competitive pricing and generating results. This is one where we're getting the results of delivering projects, uh, we're getting the competitive pricing and actually um, you know, seeing what we need as Patrick has meant, you know, spoken to before. We need to, oh, yeah. um, we're about two minutes over our allotted speaking time. So and we it's did a actually pretty the good... perfect time. So, right. so we hit it. And as you can see, um, and I was hoping for that so I didn't have to have a slide for what's not working well, but I'm guessing I'm going to get a question. So let's go and open up the floor. Great. Thanks very much for coming out today. That's very interesting. Uh, three questions. Can you clarify, please, if uh, I, I think I, I thought I heard you mention that CBRE actually performs as a tier one a supplier, perhaps in some markets, but you, could you clarify what CBRE's role is there? That's sure. one question. Yeah. Number two, <clears throat> seeing how well CBRE stock has been doing the last couple of years, I don't imagine you guys are doing this for free. So in a conventional model where there are brokerage fees happening and those find their way up into the administrative layer, so how does that work in this integrator model? And then thirdly, uh, does that cost basis within Microsoft find its way back to the occupiers? All right, so three questions. Number one, what was number one again? No. Where, where you operate as, yeah. as the tier one. So um, because of our relationship in the Puget Sound, we've always operated as the broker, as the, the brokerage firm in Puget Sound. Um, it's something that came with the contract. The only reason we have IFM right now is just with the, the transfer um, of Grub and Ellis over to CBRE and timing and what needed to happen on a very, very quick scale. Other than that, we are excluded from being that tier one broker, broker, project manager, or IFM. So we're not the tier one other than in those two areas. So advantage number one, by being the integrator and not being available for, um, to bid on transactions, projects, or FM, is that when emergency situations come up like that, when Grubb and Ellis went under, um, these guys are sitting in the decks next to us. We don't have time to go through the entire RFP process at that point. They're available to, to pick up some of that work. So, and that's why that, that they became the tier one provider, FM. Uh, number two, yes, we do not do this for free. Um, there's a management fee associated with it. There's our incentives. Um, if we do well, we get it. We may get a little bit more. If we do poorly, we give money back. Um, so it's basically, you know, they're, they're paying for our people. Um, and then there's a management fee associated with it. Um, so not too different than many different other structures out there um, when you actually are, are managing a corporate real estate platform. Um, and then the third one. About occupiers, I don't. Lindsay, what was the third question? Oh, right. So there, there are savings incentives that were built into the um, business case itself. Um, so right now it's being funded from, from a center standpoint and those costs are not being billed back. But it's something that um, IFM is actually a whole model where we're going business case by business case by country and proving it's not more expensive what you are. So they're, they're funding that portion, but it's not different than what they were doing before. Uh, the rest is to be determined of how, they, how and when or if they do build back some of these services. Any other questions? 
working. What's not working? Thank you. <laughs> um, well, let's say let's let's caveat that with or say you know kind of lessons learned. Where might have we stumbled or, or not have planned efficiently? Uh, it, it's really in two areas: change management, knowing what came with that, and really stepping to two things with that: communication, which I've already talked about, but also understanding the scope of work and understanding as a service provider what our true role in being the integrator is. Um, Microsoft expects us to help educate their own folks as to what this model is. They want us to manage our own scope. So we have to be very savvy in how we address that. Uh, so for instance, a, a REPM, somebody in the RNF community may want a master plan done, a 100 slide deck because something might happen. It's no, you're only doing that because there's a need to do it and we need to push back. So all of us who are in the service provider industry, having that experience to be able to do that and not just be yes people all the time and come in here has, has driven some unnecessary work that we've gone through and that we've done. Um, has been very hard for our people and for our culture to understand and I think is a challenge for anybody. So that's a huge lessons, lessons learned itself. Um, Think. I'll take from, from my perspective um, um, in the COE. Um, it, it's not so much a question about what's not working. It's speed to market. So when we're trying to put a global perspective um, out to all of these regions, it's really, really difficult. And sometimes there's long lead times to go ahead and develop process that will work for all parts of the world. And sometimes you spend a boatload of time on your due diligence work, and by the time you get to the end, it won't work. And you have to go back to some of the ways, because some of the countries, the way that we have to do business is just different than how we do it here. But we at least go through that process, and where we can, we try to provide as much consistency in the way that we deliver things as possible. So that, so implementing and, and getting the consistency globally is difficult. And the timing of that, that was the second point what we heard a lot from the tier ones in our first 360 survey is, you know, I was expecting that you would have a more complete process when it comes to scorecarding. Well, this is the first time we did it. We needed to go live. Um, it's kind of, you know, let's not invest $150,000, $200,000 in a tool right now when we don't exactly know what it needs to be. Let's roll with it, determine that, and then invest the money if we, if we need it. And understanding that and communicating that, that's back to communication is to bring people on board with that process. Right, and, and, and from the beginning, this is a brand new endeavor. So there's nothing to basemark things on as far as how long it will take us to get up and operating before we can move from that uh, operating to the plateau stage to the innovation stage, which are all involved in this model. It, it was guesses. It, it was really guesses as to um, how we're going to do that. Now, we actually have some data here. So when other folks um, lean on us for, for those types of questions, you know, we can give some pretty honest feedback on, on how that is. So it was really nice to hear from Chris Owens, who leads the real estate and facilities department of Microsoft, to say at a business planning session um, about a month ago, say, okay, we're at the point where the integrator model has landed. We're not in transition, we're not in transformation. Yes, we have stuff to improve on, but now we need. Now let's focus on the model, let's focus on our internal real estate department, 
and driving the tools and really the change management of the, the regional portfolio managers to dealing with the business partners. So this is kind of, that's where the evolution is moving to now. Microsoft always become CDs closed? No. No, it, it was all new, and so, so they kept what they had. Okay. And I don't think today you're allowed to become a Microsoft employee, or I'm allowed to become a CBRE employee. No, so, something happened, and, and we addressed it. So. Gotcha. <laughs> it wasn't within RENF, it was outside of RENF. So. Right. Yes? Uh, so, obviously, I will not go into the dollars, but just the structure itself uh, is one that we could speak to for quite a while. But um, it's, a it's a quarterly scorecarding process. We have measures that are rated in the region. There's five of them. It, it fits all the platforms. Strategy, real estate, transaction, or real estate transaction management, project management, facility management, and finance. So each region rates how we're performing to our scope of work in those areas. And then there's the center, the COE, that we have specific projects that are new each quarter that we focus on. So we get rated. Um, a lot of it ends up being subjective at the end of the day. Um, we try to do stuff, especially with the organization, to be quantitative. Uh, it's been a huge challenge, but at the end of the day, with the stuff that we're doing, it, it's hard to measure that. But you, you can think of it in terms of um, if, if they were an employee, it's more of a review, like you're a full-time employee. You have specific commitments for the organization that you work for for the year. So you're constantly having one-on-ones or touch bases with, in, in this case, it's the integrator. So when we get to the end and the scoring happens, there should not be any surprises if, it, if it's done correctly because there's specific commitments that are laid out um, um, in, in, in the quarterly reviews and you're talking about them at all times. So on things that they're not performing well on, you're typically not surprised. On things that they are, typically not surprised. So, um, it, so although it is subjective, it, it's very similar to that type of review process. And we have an escalation point that if it's not working, who we go through to help resolve it. Questions? Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Scott, for coming. Uh, we'll see everyone Thank in you September. Guys. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Thank you very much for having us.